It's a movement, but it's about people. Be the People is about we the people joining forces to reclaim and reshape the best of our nation's time-treasured traditions. Each week, we offer insightful interviews with movers and shakers from all different spheres of life. And now, please welcome Dr. Carol Swain. Welcome to the Be The People show. Today, we will be discussing something that should be on the hearts and minds of every American, and that is our Constitution, in particular, the Bill of Rights. Today in America, we see our civil liberties and civil rights being threatened by governments all across our nation. And many Americans are not um, so familiar with the Constitution. And we wanna rectify some of that through our study of the Bill of Rights. And my guest today is Paul Engel. He has been a guest on Be The People podcast before and he's going to talk about the anniversary or the Bill of Rights Day. Most of us probably did not know that our nation had a Bill of Rights Day, but we do. And Paul is an author, a speaker. He spent more than 20 years studying and teaching about the Bible and the Constitution. And so we are going to learn a lot from Paul Engel today. We're going to learn about the Bill of Rights and about the amendments and how you amend the Constitution and something about this hour, this period that our nation is in uh, post-election 2020. And so, Paul, welcome back to the Be The People show. Thank you very much, Dr. Swain. It is a pleasure to be with you today. So, Paul, when was this Bill of Rights Day um, recognized by our government? Well, it's not so much that it's recognized as a national, it's never been made a national holiday. But on December 15th, 1791, the 10 amendments we know as the Bill of Rights were actually ratified and became part of the Constitution. They became legally binding on uh, both the government of the United States and of the states at the time. Yeah, there's actually a very interesting history. Um, Everyone's familiar with the Constitution, and most people realize that the first 10, 10 amendments are called the Bill of Rights. Uh, the reason they're amendments rather than parts of the Constitution means the story actually starts on September 17, 1787, when the Constitution was signed by the drafters and then sent to the then 13 states for ratification. Now, the first five states ratified the Constitution quickly and easily. But several states opposed the Constitution, and they were concerned that it, didn't, that it didn't provide sufficient protections for the basic rights of the people. Uh, we find that uh, political parties are nothing new, although not parties the way we recognize them today. There were two, um, two coalitions, two factions uh, during the ratification debates. You had the Federalists. They were very much for the Constitution, and you may recognize the Federalist Papers. Uh, three of the Federalists, Alexander Hamilton, John Jay, and James Madison, all wrote anonymous essays that became collected and part of what's called the Federalist Papers, and they argued for the adoption. Now, the Anti-Federalists had a lot more people, but it had names such as Richard Henry Lee and, and Patrick Henry were part of them. 
and they wrote essays saying we shouldn't adopt the Constitution. Well, we've now got states that are in conflict. You know, do we adopt this Constitution? Do we send it back? What do we do? In fact, the, the conflict got so heated, there was practically civil war in Rhode Island as they were debating this. Now, Paul, which were the states that pushed back on the uh, Constitution and were responsible for the Bill of Rights that we have today? The most prominent of them was Massachusetts. And Massachusetts plays a key role in why we have a Bill of Rights. But Maryland, South Carolina, um, sorry, Maryland, South Carolina, and New Hampshire were also um, reticent. They also had vigorous debates. Even Virginia and North Carolina, uh, as I, and as I mentioned, Rhode Island, uh, had, uh, were, had concerns about ratifying the Constitution as, as it was first presented. Now, Paul, what were their concerns? And if you look at America today, were the anti-federalists correct in their fears about what would happen uh, if they had not attached a Bill of Rights? And even with the Bill of Rights, you know, what kinds of issues do we have that it has not been as effective as maybe some Americans would like? Well, the primary debate, the, the, the issue between the Federalists and Anti-Federalists was how powerful this new central government would be. Now, the Federalists believed they wanted a powerful central government. We had, been, we had been united under the Articles of Confederation. We had created a Congress under the Articles of Confederation, but it had no power. It, it had a voice, but it couldn't actually do anything. And they saw just how detrimental that was. It almost cost us the war the Revolutionary War on several occasions. So the Federalists thought we need to give the central government the power it needs to do what we're asking it to do. Now, the Anti-Federalists looked at the exact same situation and said, but we're concerned. We just fought a revolutionary war to get away from a powerful central government. Do we really want to reinstill a new powerful central government? And this is most focused on this idea of the Bill of Rights. Do we need specific rights protections in this founding document? Uh, the Anti-Federalists said, yes, if we don't have documents, if we don't have parts of the Constitution that say the government can't infringe on your rights, well, what's to stop the government from infringing on it? Now, the Federalists said, well, the thing is, the Constitution does not give the central government any power to actually infringe on the rights of the people. And in fact, if we list rights in the document, someone's going to get the bright idea that the government can actually regulate those rights. And what's interesting is if you look at history, both sides were correct. We have yeah. people saying we can regulate rights because it's in the constitution and we have people making up rights and, and the ability to infringe rights because they're not specifically listed in the constitution. Now, Paul, when you look at the coronavirus pandemic and states like Michigan, California, um, the city of Nashville, and just New York State, all of these places, uh, are they violating the Bill of Rights? Absolutely. Uh, the Fifth Amendment says you cannot be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Due process is defined as a governmental or judicial process designed to protect the rights of the individual, to give them their due. Uh, so when a, a government entity says, you are not at liberty to travel, to go outside of your home or 
to do so without a mask or to do so without a vaccine, they're infringing on your liberty. When they tell you that you cannot operate your business, they are depriving you of your property. Your business is your property and they're depriving you of it and they haven't proven you've done anything wrong. They have not used a process designed to protect the rights of the individual. Well, as we are talking, the Supreme Court uh, recently made the decision that they would not take, take up the Texas case, which uh, dealt with the dispute between states. By they're not doing so, is that a weakening of the Bill of Rights? Well, I, I, I heard about that opinion. I have not researched the opinion yet. It's on my, uh, my list to do because it's very important. But I have read um, the basis for the Texas suit, and there were several um, constitutional issues with what uh, Attorney General Paxton cited. Um, what he was asking for in the, uh, in the Texas suit was an extension to dates established by Congress. And he said the Supreme Court was the only body that could basically overrule Congress. Well, sorry, no, the Constitution says Congress sets the day when electors are to be appointed, when they are, and when they are to vote. So you're asking, in effect, Governor Attorney General Paxton was asking the Supreme Court to do exactly what he claims the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania did in error by changing a, le- a power that belongs solely to the legislature. So until I've actually read the Supreme Court opinion and understand why they have done this, I, I, I'm, I'm not ready to say whether it was, it was good or bad. Well, one of the things we do know is that the Supreme Court did not rule on the merits of the case. So they did not, uh, as the court of original jurisdiction, actually look at the facts And by implication, it would seem to say that if the state of Texas does not have the standing to bring the case, that the citizens and the legislators of the individual states affected, that they would have standing. And it does seem like President Trump, one of the injured parties, would have standing uh, to bring suit. And so it doesn't look like there's going to be an immediate solution, but the door seems to be open, you know, for further remedies when it comes to addressing what went wrong with the 2020 election. Well, again, until I've read the the opinion, I know why they did it. If they said the the state doesn't have standing, that's an interesting discussion because... Well, that was their decision that the state did not have standing to bring the case. So it was not decided on the merits. They didn't get down into the weeds about the argument. But the question is, why did they not have standing? For example, what, is what the attorney general asking for not a remedy the, the Supreme Court could provide? Legally, the Supreme Court cannot tell the states you can change a deadline set by Congress. Now, well, if they simply said that, that Texas, uh, the, the Texas suit means one state cannot sue another in the Supreme Court for a breach of a of the agreement that the, that the constitution is, that's a whole nother issue in which, you know, but I want, no, I, I'm, I'm very much. Right that. Yeah. I, because the fact that one state sued another is why the case went directly to the Supreme court. It's right. called the, the court of right. original jurisdiction. 
Right. If the citizens of Texas or the citizens of, of any state or even the, the president were to call, were to issue the suit, um, that would not go directly to the Supreme Court. It would have to go to a lower court first. Well, I mean, these cases have gone to lower courts and they have not looked at uh, the evidence. And so for many states, the only recourse now is the Supreme Court. So they're going to get many cases that they may or may not grant uh, cert to uh, that will be coming their way by the states, by the citizens of the affected states. Paul, we're going to take a break. And when we return, we're going to talk more about the bill Bill of Rights and the amendments. Be the People is sponsored by Cooper Steel, a family-owned business that provides the steel fabrications for buildings across the Southeast. Sixty years ago, Kenneth and Faye Cooper founded the company in Chevyville, Tennessee, which started as a vision is now a nationally recognized company that remains true to its founders' Judeo-Christian values and principles. Cooper Steel is committed to excellence, responsibility, and community. Its motto is build strong, stand strong. It treats its employees and customers like family. Learn more at coopersteel.com. My fellow Americans, you've watched for decades as radical Marxists have systematically taken over some of our nation's most cherished institutions. And like us, we're pretty sure you're not happy about any of it. But this is the America we now find ourselves in. AmericaOutloud.com is fighting back with one of the fastest growing conservative media networks in the world featuring some of the nation's most influential experts and commentators. It is a fight for the soul of humanity. America Out Loud Talk Radio is the voice of liberty and justice for all. I'm back with my guest, Paul Engel. We're talking about the Constitution, in particular, the Bill of Rights. And we talked a little bit about the debate and the battle between the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists that resulted in the Bill of Rights that we have. And so right now, uh, I'd like to talk specifically about why we ended up with the 10 amendments that we have. So, Paul, would you shed a little bit of light on why, why we have the particular uh, amendments that we do and we can also talk a little bit about why people only focus on a few of the, the amendments. Well, as I said, many of the states uh, were in turmoil about whether to ratify the Constitution to the point that it looked like it, the Constitution was going to be defeated uh, until several anti-federalists in the state of Massachusetts came up with a compromise. They said they would support the Constitution if they were assured that the first Congress would offer amendments forming a Bill of Rights. Um, They agreed, Massachusetts and the other states putting in similar requirements. You know, we ratify this, you know, under the assumption that you will provide us amendments to the Constitution. Once the new government started in March of 1787, uh, James Madison, with a lot of help from his compatriots, actually wrote 12 proposed amendments to the Constitution. 
Now, we all know there are 10 amendments to the, to, to the Bill of Rights, but there was actually 12 proposed. Interesting, the first amendment that was proposed, which dealt with the, the number of representatives in the House of Representatives, that has never been ratified. It, it is effectively dead on the vine. The second of the, two amend, of the 12 amendments proposed, which limited pay raises for Congress until after the next election, that was actually ratified in 1992 and became the 27th Amendment. The remaining 10, numbers 3 through 12, are the 10 amendments we think of in the order that we think of. So when people think of the First Amendment as our first protections, our first freedoms, it was actually number three on the list that was proposed. That is uh, very interesting. I know that for many Americans, they have a favorite constitutional amendment. And it seems like the first, the second amendment, the um, fifth amendment, the, uh, the 14th is not a part of the Bill of Rights, of course. Uh, but those amendments seem to be the ones that are most popular. But in recent years, I would say the ninth amendment and the 10th amendment has taken on increasing importance. What's your take on that? Well, it's very interesting. And the First Amendment is actually unique among all the amendments in the Bill of Rights, because the first words of the First Amendment is Congress shall make no law. Now, you have freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, freedom to peaceably assemble, freedom to petition your government for redress or grievance. But it's all after those words, Congress shall make no law. The First Amendment is the only amendment that does not apply directly to the states, which is where a, a lot of the issues have come up with the coronavirus being First Amendment violations. That's only because the courts have decided in their own wisdom to apply the First Amendment to the states, even though the language of the, of the law says, no, it applies to Congress and by extension, uh, the federal government's actions under laws made by Congress. Well, Paul, as someone that's been a political scientist, and I do have one uh, a law degree, I'm not a JD, it seems to me that a number of law schools and even some of the Supreme Court justices, that they are not um, people that hold our Constitution uh, in reverence. They have become part of the group that would argue that it was written by wealthy white men and that it may not be relevant for us today and that we need a new uh, constitutional convention. And I see a lot of disrespect for the Constitution and also a lot of young people as well as older people who really don't appreciate the amendments and how the Constitution and the Bill of Rights uh, has served the American people over the years. You know, that, that's true. And I, I don't know what percentage of judges and lawyers hold what positions, but what I find interesting is um, every lawyer I've asked but one in the last three years that I've asked this question, when I asked them, did they study the Constitution in law school or did they study constitutional law? Everyone but one said they studied constitutional law, which is the judge's opinion about what the Constitution says. Well, I'm sure we've all played the game telephone, right? Where I whisper something in someone's ear and to the next, to the next, to the next, and it changes over time. That's effectively what's happened with the Constitution 
and the judges no longer look at the original document, or if they do, it, it's they're looking to um, confirm something they've already believed rather than going and looking at what it actually says and what, what it actually does. Uh, that's where we end up with judges. I would judges. agree. And a lot of scholars, I would agree, and a lot of, excuse me, I would agree, and a lot of law schools are not even requiring uh, students to read the Constitution or to take a class in constitutional law. And people argue that the Constitution is a living document that changes with the people. And if you have that perspective, you can write anything you want into the Constitution and use it to change the culture and the laws. And as a consequence, you know, we have legalized abortion, we've legalized gay marriage, and other things that the Constitution itself was silent on, the court, as you know, found a right to privacy. And right now, what I think is the most interesting uh, legal debate taking place is around the Ninth Amendment. Could you talk a little bit about the Ninth Amendment and how it may hold promise for conservatives? You know, I, I absolutely agree. I believe it's, it's a dereliction of duty that the law schools that are training our lawyers do not teach them what the supreme law of the land says. Um, it, it, it's sad. The Ninth Amendment says that, in a, in a paraphrase of the Ninth Amendment, just because a right isn't written down in the Constitution doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It, it's this idea that there are natural laws that are so self-evident, we don't need to write them down. And just because we haven't written it down doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Now, that is a, a true statement, but we so misunderstand rights and we so misunderstand the application of rights, much less the, the role of the Constitution. Uh, you, for example, you used uh, the abortion debate from Roe v. Wade. Um, does the Constitution say you have a right to privacy? Not in those words. It does say that you have a right to be secure in your person's houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable search and seizure. The question then becomes, all right, we're not into a question of rights. Does a person's right to privacy supersede another person's right to live? See, the Declaration right. says, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. We are created not once we exit the womb. We are created in the womb. So we have certain unalienable rights, including the right to life. So when, a, when you're saying that, a, that um, your right to privacy supersedes some other being's right to life, you're, you, you could take that parallel and say, um, you know, simply because something bad happened to you and somebody else uh, knows about it, I can kill them because I'm protecting my right to my privacy, the information. Well, I mean, it's certainly uh, problematic. And many people have heard of states' rights and doing the civil rights movement. And I guess uh, throughout periods of the 19th and 20th century, people talked about states' rights, and it was usually seen as a way to uh, protect slavery. Could you talk a little bit about it as the basis of federalism and why it is important to us today? So if we understand the creation of the United States, pre, prior to the United States existing, we had 13 free and independent states. They created a government called the United States 
um, or the United States of America, and they gave it certain powers. They said uh, legislative power belongs to Congress, and if you read Section 8, that is most of the powers delegated to Congress. Most of the things Congress can do is there. They said in Article 2, uh, all executive power is, delegate, is vested in a president, and then Article 2 talks about what the president can do. Same thing with the judiciary in Article 3. The Tenth Amendment says, in effect, any power not specifically delegated to the federal government by this constitution, nor prohibited by it to the states, remains with the states. And if it doesn't, if it's denied to the states, it remains with the people. We think of states as subordinate part of government entities under the federal government. That's upside down. The states created the federal government. They set the limits of the federal government. They set its rules and its boundaries. And they said, you are not allowed to go beyond this. That is a state's rights issue. Now, as with all human endeavors, people have abused this idea of state's rights. Just as your right to privacy does not give you the right to kill another, another being, a state's right to protect the powers not delegated to the federal government does not give it the power to enslave another human being. Well, you're making some excellent points. We're going to take another break, Paul. And when we return, I want you to you know, speak to our listeners about this moment that we're in and what they can do to reassert uh, their powers, their constitutional rights, and to become uh, better acquainted with the document that forms the basis of the rule of law in our nation. So we'll be back after this uh, uh, brief break, and you're listening to Be the People. Carol Swain here to tell you about my good friends at Churchill Mortgage. Churchill is a national company that was started in Nashville, Tennessee, with a commitment to educating clients about how to save money and time on home loans and refinancing. Churchill can help you get out of debt. Pick up the phone and call them at 888-562-6200 or visit them on the web at churchillmortgage.com. Tell them Carol sent you. What if there was a book that took the mystery out of prayer, one that made it easier for people to pray God's word with miraculous results? There is such a book, Joy Lamb's The Sword of the Spirit, The Word of God is a Handbook, that has changed the lives of thousands of people around the world. You can order your life-changing copy from Joy Lamb's website, thesoardofthespiritbook.com. Order Joy's book and listen to her audio prayers while you're there. I'm back with my guest, uh, Paul Engel. And Paul, what are your parting words to the listeners of Be The People? And we certainly hope that those of you who are listening by radio and podcast will share this information with others. And if you're listening by radio, you can go to my website, bethepeoplenews.com, and there you will find a link to this podcast. And also, Paul is going to tell you about a free giveaway. So, Paul, the uh, show is yours for the next few minutes. Thank you, Dr. Swain. Well, one of the interesting things about the Bill of Rights, you mentioned we focus, tend to focus on the First and Second Amendments quite frequently. 
half of the amendments in the Bill of Rights actually deal with protecting your due process rights. Your right to make sure the government doesn't infringe on your life without making sure they protect your rights. And as we've seen throughout 2020, and we'll probably see into 2021, these rights, your right to be secure in your person's houses, papers, and effects, to be free from, to not have your right to life, liberty, or property infringed without due process, to a trial by jury, to confront your accuser, all of these rights and many more make up half the Bill of Rights, and these are the ones that are being trampled. And it's, it, not only is it states where you have governors saying you can't go out or governors or, or mayors saying that uh, there's a curfew, um, you know, without these protections, these are being trampled. The sad part is while most people are going to courts, it is actually courts that are doing most of the infringing on our due process. It is courts that have said that, um, th that your rights can be infringed upon if the government gives it what it considers a compelling government interest. Well, Paul, do you think the Supreme Court will eventually step in about this infringement of people's basic rights under the Constitution? Um, I don't have a crystal ball, but I am not overly optimistic. If we look at the opinions of the justices of the courts, there are many that are more than willing to put uh, Justice Thomas, who's considered a strong conservative, frequently allows the infringements on individual rights because of some governmental interest. The interesting thing is the Declaration of Independence says the first and primary purpose of government, your primary government interest is to protect the rights of the people. And Paul, we just have a few uh, minutes, we just have a minute or so left. Tell our listeners how they can uh, follow you or learn more about you. Absolutely. I have a website, uh, constitutionstudy.com. Uh, I am on several of the social medias, but the website's the best place to find it. You know, uh, John Jay said every member of the state ought to diligently read and study the constitution of his country to protect their own rights. So to help that starting uh, that Bill of Rights Day, if you go to that website, if you go to the link that uh, Dr. Swain will put in the description, you can get a free copy of my book, Read the Constitution in 30 Days. 30 days, you'll read the Declaration, the Constitution, and you'll have a better understanding of our founding principles. Thank you so much, Paul. And we will be posting a link to Paul's free downloadable book on the Be The People News website. Paul, thank you so much for spending part of your day with us. And for all the listeners out there, remember, first of all, it's our nation and it's our constitution. We have a responsibility. We must stand up and be the people who reclaim our nation and our world. And so I challenge you, read the Constitution, study the Constitution. We have to elect people and support judges that honor that sacred document. Thank you. Thank you.